And again, uh, good morning, and again, happy Pentecost, or can we say happy anything after this crazy, challenging, difficult week? You know, we had a pandemic Easter, and now we're having our first pandemic Pentecost. So what are your latest longings, and what are your latest lessons learned in the midst of all of it? We have a church member uh, here who maintains a marvelous sense of humor, even in the midst of very difficult times, and once in a while she sends an email. I always end up uh, with a smile. Uh, Here are some of her pandemic perspectives. Uh, She comments about a number of things. The first one has to do with self-medication. She she said, "Never (laughs) never in my life did I imagine that my hands would consume more alcohol than my mouth. Her second observation was this, there is nothing like a little tomato soup to soothe the soul, especially if it's cold over ice with a celery stick and you get the idea. Others uh, have to do with food and dining more often at home. She said, wearing a mask in our homes is now recommended not to prevent COVID-19, but to keep us from eating too much. She's dealing with the quarantine 15. She said, my pants buttons have started to social distance from each other. Here's some other comments about just opening up things and some general observations. Uh, Casinos are now offering curbside pickup. You you just call ahead and they'll come out and take the money right from your car. And I I thought this was pretty good, kind of a good summary. She said 2020 is kind of a unique leap year. You know, there were 29 days in February, five Saturdays in February. When's the last time that happened? And then there were 500 days in May. There you go. And speaking of 2020, let's kind of step back and look at the big picture this morning. We are in the midst of a year-long emphasis uh, here called 2020 Vision. When we hear the number 2020, we cannot help but think of eyesight. And so it's made sense to try to embrace uh, this thematically. And so far, we have considered the eyes of Epiphany and the lens of Lent and... We're coming off a a season of Easter called Recognizing Resurrection. Today, today we begin a a long series called Pentecost Perspectives. And so this morning, I ask you, what comes to your mind when you hear the word Pentecost? What images come up? Uh, We've got uh, all kinds of images based on your your church and faith background. Uh, Some positive, some negative, some kind of exciting, some a little... Uh, troubling perhaps, but uh, I want you to think about that word this morning. As you know, the Pentecost is the longest season of the church by far, stretching from May all the way to December. But, you know, what, what's it all about and what are we to do with it? Where does it rank among all the church holidays and celebrations? Does it get less attention because businesses cannot market it? You know, I I checked several stores close to the church here. I saw no Happy Pentecost cards. Have you ever seen one? No, they're not out there. Now, some of us might say that all of this has something to do with the Spirit, but we're not 
quite sure about the implications of that gift, and so I will begin the series, this long series, with two messages to help us focus on the primary texts related to the gift of the Spirit to the disciples, the early church, and the gift of the Spirit to us. Today in the Gospel of John, the Spirit comes peacefully and privately. And then in the story of Acts, next week we'll, we'll, we'll think about this one. In the story of Acts, the, the Spirit comes, comes powerfully and publicly. And so we have a couple of options here to think about. And I, and I confess that on Pentecost Sunday, I have never preached from the Gospel of John's story. In all my almost 40 years of, of, of preaching about this, I've, you know, I always found Acts 2 to be much more exciting. This is the first day I've ever used the John text. But I wonder if during these times when we too are locked behind closed doors, that John's story is more appropriate and makes more sense for this day. Do we need to consider what the gift means for us individually, personally, as small groups, as, as friends and family? How can we view and live life as spirit-filled people of faith? And so with that foundation, let's focus on, on the Pentecost effect. We have set the table. Let's turn to the text this morning. And in today's story, we find the disciples uh, are in quarantine, right? Uh, There's a serious persecution pandemic virus going around, and and they're doing what they think is best just to stay alive. And they are following carefully the phase one guidelines. You'll notice Uh, Judas and Thomas are not there, so there are 10 people in the group, right? Amen? Amen. Uh, but but they're afraid, and they are scared, and they're uncertain, and they are in lockdown mode. But they are together, and they're trying to make the best of it. This may be the model model for something we still do in church, Rob, Stephen. You know, this uh, it, it remains a favorite for children and young people. It's perhaps one of the most demanding for pastors and sponsors, but the event is called... The lock-in, right? And the concept is simple. You know, the group is locked in for the night and everybody participates in a variety of games and and programs and worship. And then the next morning, bright and early, as soon as the adults can get the kids out, uh, the parents pick up their sleepless, weary children and sponsors and pastors go home to take a nap and recover to get ready for the next day. Amen. Stephen shaking his head. <laughs> so, so if you are in lockdown mode right now, just pretend it's a lock-in. It's a, it's a lot more fun. So the disciples are having a lock-in of their own on Easter Sunday evening of all times. You know, usually we take a break from meetings after Easter Sunday morning, right? But they're there. And then out of the blue, Jesus appears and says, Peace be with you. Right. <laughs> right. Can you imagine? First reaction? Right. You know, after his friends get up off the floor, Jesus repeats another peace offering because I'm sure the first one didn't work. And then what does he do? He breathes on them. <coughs> now he's really messing with these healthy at home guidelines. 
he is no masked man. And he's definitely not social distancing. And then he breathes on them. Isn't that odd for the Son of God? But, but you know, God's people do some pretty strange things from time to time. Did you see the story about the 70-year-old priest in Detroit? Unlike Jesus, he was trying to maintain social distancing. He encouraged members of his flock to come by the church for drive-by shootings of holy water from a squirt gun. Did you see the story? It's great. But he was covered. You know, mask, shield, gloves, covered. And, of course, his creative efforts have gone viral, and he confesses he's a little concerned about how the Vatican might react to all of this. But, you know, isn't that crazy? You know, it's like passing out uh, Pentecost pinwheels to all of our children this week. Isn't that crazy? Uh, It's like having Jesus breathe on you. This is, this is nuts. But, the, but this Jesus' breath is extraordinary. And, and it's just part of a, a grander gift. He also says to his befuddled friends, receive the Holy Spirit. This, this is a little peculiar. So maybe we can do some pondering and wondering about what's happening here. Where else in the Bible do we read of similar images. Do you recall the story of the creation of humanity in Genesis? Hmm? God formed the human of dust from the ground and breathed into this new being the breath of life. A similar picture is in Ezekiel in the, in the valley of the dry bones. Zeke heard God say to the wind, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live again. And so when Jesus breathes on the disciples, it is Genesis breath. It is creation breath. It's the breath of new life. It's, it's resurrection breath. And as he breathes on them, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And and Jesus awakens them from the dead and breathes new life into them and gives birth to the church privately and intimately. In John 20, Matthew's great commission and Acts 2's giving of the Spirit to the disciples are closely interwoven. Now, if you blink, you'll miss it because it happens just like that. If you blink, you'll miss it, but it's there. Look closely. This is the fulfillment of the promises in John 14 to 16. This breath-giving, breath-taking experience transforms them. I invite you to relish these eloquent images from Barbara Brown Taylor as she thinks about breath. She says, we breathe the same air that Plato breathed, that Mozart and Michelangelo and Bach and Beethoven breathed. Every time we breathe, we take in what was once some baby's first breath or some dying person's last breath. When Jesus let go of his last breath, willingly we believe for love of all of us, That breath hovered in the air in front of him just 
for a moment. It hovered, and then it was set loose on the earth. And it was such pungent breath, so, so full of passion, so full of life, that it did not simply dissipate as many breaths do. It, it grew. It grew. It grew in strength and in volume until it was a mighty wind which God sent spinning through the world. These gifts of Pentecost are also given to us. But sometimes I think we're a little nervous about accepting the gift. Oh gosh, some, you know, some of us just miss the joy of spirit-filled resurrection living. I'm, you know, we're like the disciples with closed curtains and locked doors. You know, don't, but, but, but Jesus finds a way to, to break through whatever barriers we put up. Jesus finds a way to come through and speak words of assurance and peace to us. His breath gives us the confidence and courage to proclaim the good news of life over death and good over evil. This spirit can give us the determination and the strength to take risks in our lives lives that will bring God's light and love to others. And, and, and there, there's the beauty of this story from John this morning. Gifts are given. Peace and, and spirit and commission. And we are to respond. And God's people have been doing just that for centuries. You know, studies show that there are more Christians alive today on this planet than ever before. This is due to the growth of human population, of course, but also to the remarkable expansion of the faith in new parts and corners of the world we never imagined would happen. Christianity went viral at Pentecost, and it hasn't stopped since. Some people will even point to the steady, stubborn growth of the church as proof and evidence of God's existence. I mean, how else do we explain such an unlikely group of folks as Jesus' disciples starting a worldwide movement? Are you kidding me? God had to be in that. Amen? I mean, and it's a joy today to celebrate over 1,000 new churches that have been started in our own denomination. You'll hear more about that later, but it's exciting news. This spirit-led life is rewarding. And we also know it can be risky. But we are called. We are called to respond in our words and in our actions to be and to become the people God has called us to be. We saw a powerful example in the response of our governor last week to the despicable display of human behavior at our capital. And he said, I will not be afraid. And I will not back down. He spoke the truth as he called out people who are responsible. He said, you cannot fan the flames and then condemn the fire. And then his wife, Brittany, reminded us of something we all too often forget. Love, love always wins over hate. Love always wins over hate. Sometimes we forget. And their comments and their courage are grounded in their faith. 
and, and, and our hearts are, are also aching and breaking from what has happened on the streets of Minneapolis and in our own city this past week. Recent incidents fall in a long line in history of systemic racism. And there are too many inciters in chief and igniters in chief, some obvious and some not so, who are fanning the wrong flames. We got to change. We got people fanning the wrong flames, but the people are rising up. People are rising up to counter bigotry and oppression. Desmond Tutu said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. And Martin Luther King Jr. faced the same kinds of battles his whole life. He he said, we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of bad people, but for the appalling silence of good people. Mm -mm -mm. His words remind us that it's our turn. Church, it's our turn to rise up and to respond. Friends, we we are good people. We are good people. We're also Pentecost people. And so we're to fan the flames of compassion even in the face of hate. We're we're to fan the flames of hope even in, in the midst of despair. We are to fan the flames of respect when there is great incivility. We are to fan the flames of justice when there is great oppression. We are to fan the flames of truth when falsehoods abound. We are to fan the flames of unity when chaos confounds us. We are to fan the flames of life and light and God's love. We are spirit-filled and we are spirit-inspired and we are spirit-empowered. Jesus says, peace be with you. God sent me. God sent me. And now I'm sending you. Mm -hmm. 